Today we are beginning a series entitled Barriers to Belief. Over the summer we want to look at common ideas, mindsets that you might hold, or someone that you know holds to that makes the Christian way seem untenable. Like, because of this, there's just no way I could embrace Christianity. And yet, what if there's another way to look at it? Or what if that idea preventing exploring Christianity is actually false? I'm hoping that you would at least be willing to have that conversation. We're starting today with the subject of politics. We might as well jump in the deep end, right? And it is Canada Day weekend, so it's at least kind of appropriate. And like it or not, we are all touched by politics. If you are not a Christ follower, does what you see about the mixture of faith and politics turn you off to the idea of Christianity? And if you are a Christian, should you stay away from politics or be involved in politics? And if so, to what extent? And what about churches? Should churches talk about politics? How much? And should their leaders go so far as to tell their congregations how to vote? There's lots of landmines here. Christian, non-Christian, politics is controversial in any setting. Why so? Does it have to be that way? Let's begin by defining our terms. The word politics comes from the Greek word politika, meaning the rule of a city. It's about ideas applied to community, often having to do with resources and the power to decide how those resources are distributed. In his book, Everything is Politics, but Politics is Not Everything, author Harry Kutert says, ideals and the power to realize those ideals together as an indivisible whole form what we call politics. I like the simplicity of what Kutert is saying. Politics is about one, ideals, and two, power. We say of elected governments, they are now the ones in power. You don't have to look too far to see how people react to the implementation of their ideal or to the loss of that ideal's implementation. Think Roe v. Wade. As I think about the last few years in North America, the Christian witness has been impacted in a huge way by politics, not for the good. You may be watching today and Christian behavior in the political realm has left you with less than a favorable view of the faith. I mean, how can people say they follow Jesus when how they are acting seems so far from what you know Jesus to be like? And how can a Christian endorse a politician who is anything but Christ-like? So the actions of Christians driven by their political position has alienated many from the possibility of faith. And then there's division. In our series, Rhythms That Lead to Life, as we discussed the theme of community, we saw how Jesus prayed for his followers to be one as Jesus was one with his Father. And this unity would be a witness to the world, to the reality of Jesus. And yet, politicized ideas around COVID and perspectives about the power used to enforce vaccine compliance, it caused division everywhere, not only in families. I can, I can testify to this in the church. Instead of unity, polarization. In one of America's oldest and most respected magazines, The Atlantic, author Tim Alberta writes how politics poisoned the evangelical church. It's a fascinating article in which Tim chronicles the wide differences of opinion that took root in the last couple of years in the church in America over COVID. It used to be that the church was focused on an external adversary. But Alberta remarks, to many evangelicals today, the enemy is no longer secular America, but their fellow Christians, people who hold the same faith but different beliefs. The Christian witness has been impacted in a huge way by politics, for the most part, not for the good. So should we stay away? 
Is it too risky to enter into the conversation? Is it okay to have our beliefs, but best to hold them to ourselves? No. I don't want to pretend there are easy answers to all of this. I do not want to come across as a guy who has it all figured out without any place for further discussion and wrestling. But to answer the questions I just asked, the answer for me is no. When it comes to politics, from a Christian standpoint, I think we have both a right and a responsibility. But your involvement in politics must come from the right perspective and the right posture. So today, four words to frame the discussion. Right, responsibility, perspective, posture. Let's start with right, responsibility. We label Christianity as a religion. It is a faith-based perspective about life. The way of Jesus is to inform a person's values and choices and what you hold to as ideals. Remember, ideals are integral to politics. You have probably heard the phrase when it comes to discussion about public policy, keep religion out of it. Someone might even mumble something about the separation of church and state. The premise is that only a non-religious perspective is one that has no bias. Is that really true? In her book, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy talks about how the perspective of Christians is often discounted or barred from the public square based on this sort of thought. Religion is not considered an objective truth to which we submit, but only a matter of personal taste which we choose. Piercy studied under the brilliant Francis Schaeffer, who illustrated this division of thought as a two-story house. So in the lower story, are science and reason, which are considered public truth, applicable to everyone. In the upper story is a private truth where people say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Piercy says this is the single most potent weapon for delegitimizing the biblical perspective in the public square today. But think about it more deeply. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, you hold to a worldview that is based upon belief. You believe the world exists and operates best in a certain way. Can anyone be certain there is no creator when the world we know is so incredibly fine-tuned? We would never believe anything close to its magnificence could come into existence by mere chance. The, the watch you are wearing, the car you drive, these are infinitely less complicated than our universe. Maybe the idea of secular neutrality is a myth. Oz Guinness, author and social critic, says religious believers often re need reminding that freedom of thought, conscience, religion, and belief includes the non-religious and the anti-religious. But the non-religious and the anti-religious also need reminding that their secular beliefs are ultimate beliefs too. The Christian, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the secularist should all have a right to sit at the table. We're all bringing a worldview to the conversation. The sad part is that being told the two-story version of thinking so often, as Christians, we buy into it. For a Christian, at the core, we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that the way of Jesus is what is best for all mankind? Do we believe that God is good, that his ways are good, that he who created the world knows what is best for it, that his truth is not confined to values and feelings, but that his truth is total truth? If so. Not only do we have a right to the political conversation, we have a responsibility. Jesus used parables to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. 
But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. The good news of Jesus Christ we call the gospel is more than a message of personal salvation. It is like a tree that grows and brings blessing to the living things around it. It is like a leaven that influences all that it touches. When the rule and reign of Jesus takes root in a person's life and then another life and then another life as it did in the first century, it is to turn the world upside down for good. Our vision statement at Central Heights says, a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. We want our city and our world to flourish. And what happens in the political realm can greatly impact our society towards that. We would be foolish to abandon the public square without any conversation on our part to influence towards all that God said is good. The public square, the political realm, is a difficult place though. Especially today, when opinions are so charged and perspectives are expressed with such animosity and so quickly with the online gateway, express an opinion and you can expect that bullets will fly and you will take some hits. Just like I will, I will take some hits for speaking on politics today. But silence, retreat is not the answer. Love needs to compel us. If we believe that the way of Jesus brings healing and wholeness, we have a responsibility to express and an influence for that good. But, and we do need to get this, how we do that is so important. Stepping into the political needs to come from a right perspective and a right posture. In Acts chapter one, Jesus is about to depart from the earth and is saying goodbye to his Jewish disciples who for their whole lives have only known pagan Roman rule as their government. That has been very difficult for the Jewish people, and so it is quite natural for them to ask the one who has conquered death and risen from the grave if he will put them in power now. But Jesus was more concerned that his disciples have the power to witness than the power to be in charge. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. One of the pastors that Tim Alberta interviewed expresses his concern that the millions of American evangelicals who had come to value power over integrity and moral relativism over bright lines of right and wrong. Fourth, fifth century theologian Augustine of Hippo used the Latin phrase, Libido dominandi, translated lust for domination. The idea being we mistrust others and their desire to dominate us, but it leads to a desire to dominate them that becomes all-consuming. We are seeing opposite political parties' spectrums play this out as each side sees the fight as a resistance to the other's control. In the end, that resistance becomes all-consuming. The lust to dominate is also the lust that dominates. And this is where Christians should be different. And let me just say, where we haven't in the name of Christ, I am so sorry. Our fight is not for control. The gospel tells us our king is already in control. And while politics are important for a Christian, 
Our political involvement is to come from this perspective, the distinctiveness and supremacy of God's kingdom. I was born in the United States, and there are a lot of things I like about the U.S., but it is not uniquely God's nation. I love Canada, and I feel so privileged to live in its breathtaking beauty. I celebrate Canada Day. I'm wearing red, but that does not mean that I'm to be undiscerning about where it has messed up in the past or how it is conducting itself in today. As a Christian, my faith teaches me to love my country and work for its good, but the identity of my faith is not wrapped up in my country. I have a higher citizenship, and it is that citizenship which motivates me to be a good citizen here on earth. The rule and reign of Jesus is above all, everything. It is not dependent upon his people being in charge here. God is already on the throne. You see this in the vision of John in the book of Revelation. John is a prisoner in exile. It hardly looked like God was in control. But then God rips away the veil for John to see the reality of the unseen world. There God is, seated on the throne, exalted. Isaiah puts it so succinctly, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? God's kingdom and rule are supreme. And this puts politics in its proper place. Our political involvement is not so much to fight for control, but to influence for good. This is not to say that having the government, governmental keys in the hands of those who would rule more Christ-like is not a good thing. It's just, it's not necessary, especially not at the price of sacrificing our ethics for it. It could be said that the church was by far more influential in its early first century days when it had no political power than a few centuries later when it did. Because the greatest good is the proclamation and reception of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that you can have a relationship with God through him. And if at all possible, we do not want our witness to Jesus to be tarnished by our poor political behavior. Examining his research into the recent political landscape of America, Tim Alberta wrote, Evangelicals, including my own father, became compulsively political, allowing specific ethical arguments to snowball into full-blown partisan advocacy, often in ways that distracted from their mission of evangelizing for Christ. We should never lose the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom. And while we have a right and a responsibility to engage in the political realm, it so needs to come from the right perspective and the right posture. Truth in love. You know it. Our environment is so polarized right now, and the conversations between opposing opinions, especially political, is seldom civil. But it can happen. I have been on a couple of educational and not-for-profit boards in my life, and on one occasion, uh, shortly after I accepted the position as a board member, a new national CEO was put in place. He quickly made it clear that his intention was not only to advocate for, but to promote within the organization a view of sexuality, which to me was not only contrary to my own personal beliefs, but it also seemed totally inappropriate for the, the kind of activity that our organization was about. After wrestling with it, I communicated to our board chair my position on the matter that, and that I would be willing to resign. Well, I was blown away by the response. Our board chair told me that 
I'd be welcome. And the fact that I brought a different perspective to the board was good, and I was encouraged to stay. Totally unexpected and so different from the norm. In the apostles' writings to the followers of Jesus, they encourage them to live in such a way that it does not bring reproach to the name of Christ. For example, in Paul's instructions regarding conduct in Titus chapter 2, he qualifies with statements like this, that the word of God may not be reviled, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, and so that in everything they, the followers of Jesus, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. As Christians, if we are to assume our responsibility to engage in the public square of political opinion, the desire for good that compels us to do so should be with speech that beautifully adorns the gospel. If my opinion differs from yours, you should still feel respect and honor for me because you are made in God's image. Richard Mwell, who has written a book called Uncommon Decency, he strongly believes that Christians are called to civil conversations. In reviewing his book, Christianity Today, summarized his premise so well. Mao convincingly argues that the need for civility is pressing. The virtue is nearly extinct. Civility is a Christian virtue whereby we enter public discussions with a strong conviction of Christian truth, a willingness to learn from those with whom we disagree, and a desire to honor the humanity of even our fiercest foe. Civility is not a passive politeness that defers to everyone and stands for nothing, neither is it relativistic. It is a mannerly, demeanor in which an inner intensity never overpowers self-restraint or rational discourse. This, says CT, is an urgent message we should take to heart. So should a Christian be involved in the political realm? Yes, for the sake of the kingdom and the good of the gospel in a way that is true to its message of truth and love. If you're watching today and not a Christian, I hope that the perspective we have talked about will help you to see what political involvement should look like from the Christian vantage point. I hope it will reduce barriers between discussions of different viewpoints, and I hope it will reduce barriers to considering Christ. Most of us would say that it was a good thing when slavery was abolished. Abolition was accomplished in Europe largely through the efforts of Christians. William Wilberforce, whose name is pretty commonplace today, was a Christian. He felt called to a professional Christian ministry, as in, I am a pastor. But his friends discerned a different call in his life, to stay in politics. And aren't you glad that he did? As a politician, Wilberforce was at the forefront of a group of Christians who saw slavery as a violation of the way of Jesus. Their view was not popular. Slavery was big business back then. Yet battling through personal illness and cultural and political resistance, Wilberforce persevered for nearly 20 years until the Slave Trade Act of 1807 passed. What if Wilberforce had done nothing? What if he had been apathetic? I mean, slavery wasn't affecting him personally, yet for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the kingdom and the good of others, he made it his life pursuit and it changed the world for good. There's some urgency in this question of politics. When all is not right, we need to do right, take responsibility. And what is happening on your watch? There is an increasing speed with which decisions are being made that are contrary to the way of Jesus. We are apathetic to our peril. Do what's right from the right perspective, with the right posture, 
And though some will strongly oppose you, as it was with Wilberforce, I have to believe history will be on your side, perhaps in this life, most certainly in the forever. So let me give you some practicals as to how to walk this out. First of all, learn. Be informed of the issues and don't just jump to conclusions. For example, in Abbotsford, our municipal government elections are coming up in October. Town halls are a great way to discern without an interpretation being filtered through a predetermined perspective. Read firsthand sources when possible. You can access online the Supreme Court opinion document on Roe v. Wade. Pick an issue. Instead of seeing the whole of the political challenges that concern you, like as an intimidating mountain that paralyzes and causes us to do nothing, think about making a difference with one. Maybe it's social justice issue. Refugees, LGBTQT, abortion. Act. Be part of the solution. While you work for more a comprehensive solution at the government level, maybe there's something practical you can do right now. For example, while you may be concerned about the government's plans to prevent flooding in our valley, you could help to alleviate the effects of the flood we've already experienced by those in the floodplain who still need some practical help. Give input. Give input to your representative politicians. Expressing your views to your elected officials has impact. They count one correspondence as representing many more people. I actually get personal replies from my local MP. And on giving input to friends and further connections, given our inability to have civil conversations, I'm getting more skeptical on the effectiveness of posting things online. Personal conversations are a better way. Vote. We have an opportunity first century Christians did not have. Looking at the life of Paul, who used his claim to Roman citizenship to advantage in protecting himself from his Jewish persecutors, we should use the privilege and freedoms we have to leverage for the, leverage for the good of our society. Like the US, in Canada, voter turnout is the least in percentage terms in our young adults. And whether it's mistrust or disinterest, Dr. Jeff Myers, who, who works with youth leadership development, says this can lead to a vicious cycle. You aren't interested, so you don't get involved. You don't get involved, so your interests are not represented. And because you are not represented, you have no voice. And because you have no voice, you lose interest and trust even more. Even if the choices seem difficult, as in there is no good choice, I think Myers is helpful here as well. Having done your research, he says, vote for that which would result in the most good. Voting is a way we exercise responsibility. And then lastly, and most importantly, pray. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer. You see prayer front and center in the biblical record with significant political implications in the life of Esther and Daniel as examples. Prayer is not a token cop-out. It is the first priority of Christian belief. It's the way we demonstrate our dependence upon God. And before you go on a rampage to criticize our prime minister, how about doing what God tells you to do? Pray for him first. Politics. Learn, pick an issue, act, give input, vote, pray. 
I hope this has been helpful. You have a right. And with the right perspective, the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom, and a right posture of truth and love, take responsibility. And may God's kingdom, his good rule and reign, increasingly come on earth as it is in heaven.